Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, Ontario moving into a lockdown scenario as of Boxing Day. What does it mean? How does business feel about another lockdown? They're not happy. And medical officials are concerned about a new strain of the COVID-19 virus, which has blocked any incoming and outgoing flights from the UK for the next 72 hours. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Step up to the mic, son. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Nothing screams fun like kids being home from school on a holiday and a lockdown. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Hamilton Proud, it's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson! Oh, jump Wow, that one was live, can you tell? <laughs> I think he blew all the hair off my, ha- or my head. No, that had happened before that. Uh, good afternoon, it is 1210, it is 900CHML, I'm Scott Thompson. Willers can back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson home show on the air as uh, we're in the home stretch of 2020. Man, doesn't that feel good to say? All right, obviously Hamilton in a lockdown as of uh, midnight uh, earlier on today. And here's what Mayor Fred Eisenberger had to say about where we are. There will be no indoor or outdoor dining. There will be only takeout, drive-through, and delivery options in Hamilton. Retail will be open for curbside pickup or delivery only. In-person retail shopping is generally not permitted, with some exceptions for essentials like supermarkets, hardware stores, pharmacies, and other essentials. We actually did, uh, you know, think that the red zone with the enhancements we need to save lives here. People are dying uh, daily. The numbers are well well higher than uh, they were earlier on a few months ago, and uh, the outbreaks are continuing. So we've got to protect our most vulnerable. I know that uh, some folks are not going to be happy about this, uh, as I'm not, and I think most of us are not pleased to be where we are, but it's the, right, the reality of the pandemic that we're in the middle of, and it's going to be different. Uh, it is an opportunity to reset. Uh, if we all follow the rules, we may very well uh, do a you know, great job of uh, reducing the cases and allow us to get to a different uh, different place. All right. That is Mayor Fred Eisenberger talking about Hamilton going into a lockdown uh, as of midnight uh, uh, this morning. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy PhD uh, graduate, Queen Elizabeth Scholar with McMaster University, also uh, with us now. Ahmad, thank you so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Your thoughts on where we are today. Hi, Scott. Good to be on the show again. Um, Not surprising. I think you and I have alerted everybody and sort of knew that this was going to happen and more regional uh, Ontario-wide lockdown. I mean, it's something that I've been speaking about for quite some time now, that the effectiveness of the silo structure where only certain cities get locked down as opposed to others is not going to work. I mean, it was just not feasible. It didn't make any sense. And now we're seeing that there's a need to do a more province-wide lockdown because you can't prevent people from traveling from one city to another. And this has been proven uh, given the good numbers that we have right now. So I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, Ahmad, and you can you can answer these as you see fit. Some may say uh, the numbers are increasing even though these lockdowns are in place, so therefore they don't work. So the reason why the lockdown is happening is because the OMA, the Ontario Medical Association, has put on a letter to the Premier Ford to say to urge him that based on the predictive model, our ICU units will be over capacity and elective surgeries will be cancelled. And now the problem is the terminology that we use around elective. When people hear elective, they think that it's a chosen surgery or something that can be put on hold. But the reality is what we've learned from the first wave is that many of those elective procedures are actually exceptionally necessary for the health status of those individuals. And they should not be canceled. We should still be offering them. Those include biopsies for cancers, early diagnosis of them, screening of cancers. And so this is exceptionally important that it continues to happen. Part of the main reason behind the, the lockdown for the entire province is based on the idea that if we don't do it now, we will get into a, a place where our hospitals will no longer be able to accommodate patients and therefore elective surgeries will be canceled. 
Uh, here we are, uh, just prior, or it, or it will just, uh, it sounds, we don't know if it's going to be Christmas Eve. It sounds like it's going to be bumped back to Boxing Day now. I'm not sure what, what that difference that would make in the sense that, uh, everything's pretty much closed over that time. Uh, anyway, 28 days in your mind, what will that do? Why is it 28 days if that's in fact what it will be? Well, I, I mean, to say that it's only going to be 28 days is putting your foot in your mouth because we've learned the hard way that every yeah. time we thought the lockdown was going to end. I mean, you and I have talked about this so many times before. We were always surprised that they've extended it longer based on the data. And so I don't think it's going to be 28 days. I suspect that it might be a little bit longer than that. I'm only saying that because based on, on previous trends. I mean, I've never seen the lockdown really end on the time they said that it was going to end. Um, I think that the reason between why the lockdown is happening now is many reasons. I mean, I just told you about one, but the hospitals and the health systems being overwhelmed, which is really the main reason behind this. And two is that now we're hearing reports about this new strain of the virus coming from the UK. So like, we need to be on high alert. We need to like, you know, figure out a way that we have our surveillance systems and mechanisms in place. I mean, the numbers are not great and we need to get ahead of it. You talked about the new strain uh, coming out of the UK, and it, it obviously is severe enough that uh, many countries, including Canada, have suspended flights to and from the UK at this point uh, for at least 72 hours. What can you tell us about this new strain? Is this something people should be alarmed ab- about? Well, I'll tell you about this new strain. From what I, what I gathered from the evidence so far is that we still don't know a lot about it, but what we do know is that it's being transmitted a lot faster. So its rate of transmission between one person to another is much more fast than it is currently with the COVID-19 strain that we all know about. However, early evidence is showing that it doesn't, it's not more lethal and the symptoms are not really different. And according to early evidence, the vaccine that we currently have with Pfizer and Moderna should work against this new strain. The reason behind the closure of our airports and travel space, airspace in the UK, is again a learning lesson from the first wave. I've said this on your show, and, and many other experts have said the same thing, that you know, one of the ways that we could have handled COVID-19 better was early course of closure of our borders, very early at the first sign of cases. I think the government listened to that. They listened to the advisory committee that said, don't wait on this. You know, give us 72 days to figure out what, sorry, 72 hours to figure out what's going on with this new strain. In the meantime, close the borders. This is not to say that this new strain doesn't exist currently in Canada. So we have to be careful with that. We don't know that yet. I think that our best experts are actually looking into that right now. Do we actually have this mutant new strain currently in our own environment? We don't know that yet, but we're definitely not taking the chance of having it come from the UK for now. You know, we I guess we had uh, been talking about how this we could possibly mutate, and, and, and we talked about this earlier on. However, these, this seemed to come out of nowhere, where all of a sudden, boom, they're, they're suspending flights from there. Are, are you surprised at how this came out of nowhere, or maybe not? Maybe it didn't. It's just, it's just in the headlines now. Uh, it does surprise me to a certain extent, but I, again, I go back to like the first case of uh, COVID-19 in Wuhan on December 23rd last year, uh, 23 last year. So like this was almost two days from now, it'll be a year since we know about the first case of the COVID-19. And that back then, it was sort of very surprising. And the same thing with this new strain. I think that we expected that the virus might mutate. Uh, nobody could say for sure, because again, it's a new virus. We don't know much about it. Uh, the UK government has quickly tried to share that information. There's a strong appeal here in Canada for the government to release all information about this new strain. The public wants to know. Uh, all of us want to know about this new strain. What is the likelihood of us getting it? How, how fast can it spread? How bad is it? Um, and I think that also goes to say that the lockdown measures in place are actually really, really important now more than ever. And I know it's not the news that everybody wants to hear, but it's our reality right now. So how does this happen? Why is this happening in the UK? What do we know about this mutation? I realize I've just given you five questions at once, but, but, but how does this happen? Where does this originate? Well, viruses that tend to mutate, I mean, that's just the nature of viruses. They become smarter over time. Um, they try to adapt to the environment they, they've been you know, accustomed to. Just start, they're a sneaky little thing, basically. And I explain this to my young nephews and say to them that, you know, it's like a bad person. It's like a thief who you put locks in the house. Eventually, the thieves will understand how to break through the house, correct? They'll know you have a ring system in place, a lock, a combination lock. They'll try to figure out ways to penetrate the house. Uh, 
And so the smarter the thief, the better he is at penetrating it. And the same thing with the virus, the COVID-19. So it's been almost a year since the virus has been around. It has learned uh, our systems and our host systems. I mean, infectious disease specialists probably explain this a little bit better than I have. I try to simplify it. And this new strain is exactly that. It has adapted and figured out a way to maneuver itself to, be, to, to, to transmit faster between one individual to another. But so far, the evidence, again, has showing that the symptoms is not more lethal or more severe for that case. And that the vaccine, and we have to remember that uh, the UK has already been vaccinating, or they were the first country, the vaccine seems to be working on them. We're still waiting on data and evidence to really confirm all of this. And I think that's why the federal government in Canada has taken a leadership position to say, we're not taking a risk on this. We're, we want to lock it down. That's one thing we can do among many things until we have all the information we need. Because the alternative, Scott, would have been not to close the UK borders for us to actually get the strain here, and then we would be in a lot more uh, dire situation. Um, people hear the word, word mutation, and, and immediately they think, they think of some sort of Hollywood movie and how the, all this work we've done in vaccines doesn't, may not work anymore, uh, that sort of thing. But, uh, and again, not to compare this to influenza in any, in, in any way, but for similar reasons that we have to change the flu shot every year, it's because things adapt. Is that similar? It's actually exactly that. You are uh, right to compare it to the flu vaccine. It's just like another virus. It it mutates, it changes its form. Every year we have to get smarter. But the great news is that we have now a vaccine for COVID-19. So mutations or adapting the vaccine won't be a lot of work, right? Like we developed technology, the science. This is all great news. And I just want to comment on the, the note you said, which I think is very telling, that it does feel like we're living in a movie. And we should say that. What's going on is it's not normal. Like, And I think we need to, you know, acknowledge that idea that we all feel like we're living in this crazy Hollywood movie. And I think we're all waiting for the end scene with the, with the names at the end. Like we're waiting for this movie to end, but for the meantime, you're going to have to be patient because I'll tell you, nobody is happy about this. And again, when you think of the lockdown that's, uh, and we do understand that now it's been confirmed, it will be boxing day, but again, we'll have the, the news conference coming up in just over half an hour. Um, obviously many are concerned and we've talked before about January, February, uh, how, how those could be the darkest months for this virus, uh, prior to spring, prior to everybody being fully vaccinated and such. How will this lockdown curb that? Uh, you know, I mean, if that's going to be a, a dark period, if, if we're locked down at that time, that should do the trick, should it not? Or at least, uh, flatten somewhat where, what we're seeing. Exactly. And I mean, we've learned that from the first wave. We know from the evidence so far that during the first wave of the pandemic back in March and February, when we did go into a lockdown similar to what we're going through right now, the severe version of a lockdown, it worked. Our health system was not overburdened. We did, you know, flatten the curve. Our health system was able to resume its normal functioning. And hence why we're going back into a lockdown. I mean, we've been saying this for a long time that we should have been doing this lockdown earlier on because there were early signs from our healthcare providers on the front line telling us, hey, heads up, we're getting at capacity, do something about it. And it took the OMA to, you know, to write this very telling letter to the government to say, enough is enough. You need to be more aggressive in those measures. We beg of you, our healthcare providers are exhausted. They're burnt mm. out. Um, and so we're doing it not just for our loved ones, but we're doing it for our system to function. Um, and that's the point I really want to make it very clear to everybody going this holiday season. You know, we know that in, in, on average, uh, during holiday seasons, our ERs before COVID actually get a high number of patients into our ER. God forbid any one of us gets injured over the holidays in our homes, there's a fire, you fall down the stairs. If you go to the ER, I'm not sure you're, you're going to be able to get the care that you deserve to have if we don't all play a role. And this is the message to everybody. It's not just about, you know, contracting COVID-19, which is disaster, but it's about our system. It's about our healthcare providers, our friends and colleagues out there, our firefighters, our policemen. It's about all of us. It's about the community sense. And I know it's hard after a year of being through this nightmare to think of everybody else right now. We're all trying to survive, but it's important to keep reminding each other of that and to find a way to support each other to get through it. Uh, obviously, last, uh, last week, all the discussion was about uh, vaccinations and rolling them out and such. Uh, news this week that uh, Moderna's vaccination will be approved in the United States and they could be, begin vaccinating with the Moderna vaccine, uh, or they will this week. Uh, how does a second vaccination, especially one that's logistically easier to transport, how does this change the discussion? 
well, it would mean that we'll probably have better uh, rates of uh, providing the vaccines to everybody in Canada. For us specifically, uh, I mean, we suspect that the Health Canada will approve this remarkably, uh, you know, as soon as we get it, Health Canada will approve it like it did with Pfizer. And so it just means for us is that we're most likely going to be able to roll out the vaccine uh, at a larger scale than we did before. Because now you're not only just working with Pfizer, you're working with two companies. Uh, The idea here is you'll have better supply. And like you alerted to that, you know, Moderna seems to be better in terms of distribution because of the temperature the the vaccine needs to be under. Dr. Ahmad Khalid has been with us, health policy expert. Uh, Ahmad, as always, thank you so much for the time. Uh, much appreciated. I don't know if we'll talk again before the holiday, but if not, happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas. And uh, thank you again for all you've done for us uh, over the time of this pandemic. And I'm sure we'll, we'll chat again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you, Scott. Happy holidays. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Another lockdown. Uh, 28 days worth starting... Uh, Boxing Day. Uh, kids uh, Elementary will keep the first week. Uh, they'll go back at their regular date, but they'll go back in their bedroom um, or at the kitchen table and do online for a week. For high school kids, uh, they are online until January 25th. And 28-day lockdown for the province uh, as of Boxing Day. And if you're north of Sudbury, uh, it's only 14 days. There you go. Do you think people will be driving from here to the Sudbury Walmart to see if they can, uh, yeah. All right, uh, it is what it is, and uh, the uh, the numbers are going through the roof in the hospitals, and that's the reason for all of this. It's as simple as that. Um, how does this affect businesses moving uh, forward? Uh, we have heard that we have seen some positive response for business uh, in April and, and slowly coming back, but uh, to the to the point of a recovery, uh, I think not. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Steve Ambler, co-chair of the CD Howe Institute's Business Cycle Council and is with us now. Steve, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, yes, thank you. Good to be with you. Uh, so it was interesting that looking at numbers from April, uh, slowly things have started to uh, to pick up in the economy. Who's who's uh, recovering? Who is still uh, suffering compared to where we were, I guess, at the beginning of this and to where we are now? Uh, well, just overall, um the GDP peaked in February and then basically fell off a cliff. I think the the decrease in March and April was uh, 18% overall. And we've been coming back since the end of April. Uh, but in fact, and there was actually pretty strong growth in uh, in May, June, and up, up to September. Things are slowing down now, and we're actually still about 5% below uh, and to be compared to the February peak. And that by itself, I mean, if we were just 5% below the February peak, that would already be just about the deepest uh, recession we've had since the war, the Second World War, that is. So obviously we are still in a recession or considered to be in a recession. Um, it's funny, with the, way, the way we economists sort of define things, uh, we look at where the business cycle peaks. Uh, I said that was in February. And we look at the trough, and that was basically in April. I don't think we're we're gonna things are not gonna crash again to put us back to where we were in April. So we've been recovering since. Um, we had a recent meeting with the Business Cycle Council. We decided not to declare an end to the recession because things are looking pretty dicey right now. We could be looking at what's called uh, a double dip recession uh, if the lockdowns. I guess uh, I guess you ju- you just had an announcement of some pretty severe lockdowns in Ontario. Uh, we're pretty much locked down in Quebec as well. And I think some of the big banks like RBC are predicting that uh, GDP might actually turn negative again. Hopefully not for uh, as much or for as long, but uh, that would be that would qualify then as a as a double dip recession. And most uh, hmm. the Bank of Canada and the big banks are predicting that we're not going to get back to the same level of GDP, i.e. February 2020, until oof, the end of 2021. So this is going to wow. be so- the, the shortest, if you, if you look at peak to trough, if the trough is in, in April, was in April, the one, but one of the shortest recessions we've ever had, but the deepest and one of the longest and slowest recoveries we've ever had. So uh, at this point, comparing wave one to wave two, how would you compare the two? Uh, 
well, we're, we're, we seem to be sort of in the middle of wave two, so it's pretty hard to actually di- diagnose what's, what's going on until we're actually out of it. I, I think uh, uh, hopefully things are not going to be quite as bad as uh, we've, we've learned how to cope both uh, in terms of health how to deal with uh, the, the the sickest people in terms of how to cope in ICU units and so forth, and even economically, uh, I think manufacturing industries have managed to adjust to uh, staying open at least with some reduced capacity uh, during the time when things like uh, restaurants and, and a lot of the stores are completely shut down. So hopefully, it is, as I say, we're, we, if, even if we start having negative growth again, it's not going to get back to where it was at the end of April. That would so obviously, obviously, we remember when this all started and everything was virtually locked down. My goodness, most places were like a ghost town, even out on the roads and normally busy highways where were, were virtually non-traveled. Uh, that being said, obviously, we've learned a bit from the first wave uh, compared to the second wave. Uh, and at the very beginning, we, we really didn't know what we were dealing with or, or, or how to cope with this. With what we've learned from the pandemic, is that helping in the sense that we're a bit more resilient for the second wave? Um, yes, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know what it exactly it's like in Ontario, but in Quebec, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of restaurants uh, did a lot of investing and in learning how to cope with being open in a pandemic situation. I know that uh, during the brief period in Quebec where in between the lockdowns, we went out to, to eat a couple of times and, you know, restaurants had spaced their tables and they'd installed uh, plexiglass barriers between tables and so forth. And uh uh, they invested a lot of money doing that, um, so you would think that they might be able to stay open during the second lockdown, second phase of lockdowns. But it looks like in Ontario and Quebec, they're being forced to close. So that's a bit worrying because uh, you know a lot of these small businesses, especially, invested a lot of money in order to be able to stay open. What they think, say, you know, pr- presumably safely, and they're not being allowed to. Uh, what about the fact that, um, you know, obviously we're going over a holiday period here, uh, obviously mad rush, it always appears every year up until this point, but then after January seems to be a bit of a slow month. How does that figure into this? Is that the, uh, a good, it's not that there's ever a good time to have a lockdown, uh, but obviously during a slow period, does, does that matter or has this been such a, an anomaly of a year that, you know, every month is bad? Well, every month is bad. I mean, I think it, it seems pretty clear that uh, people are, you know, given the fact that now uh, stores are going to be closed completely after Christmas, people have been shifting. Now, I think Boxing Day sales, for example, in Quebec have been, been going on yeah. up until Christmas instead of after Christmas. So people have actually probably been shifting a lot of their spending to before the 24th. So, but that How do you? That, in- that means that the retail sector in January is going to be really slow. When do you envision this slowly? When do you see this starting to change direction? I mean, what do you anticipate, say, by the spring, by May? I mean, there's so many. I mean, one of the problems is that businesses are facing a large amount of uncertainty. Uh, you know, small stores, big stores, uh, restaurants. Even once we get back to spring and outdoor outdoor terraces and patios start opening up again, uh, uh, will restaurant restaurants be allowed to open up their outdoor patios? We can hope so, but there's you know without clear uh, clear word from gov- from provincial governments, it's hard to predict. So the 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 problem is that economic uncertainty is is always bad for uh, firms making new investments and. And hiring new workers and so forth. So hopefully, uh, the pace of vaccinations will pick up, and uh, we can get through this. And then, if if people are getting vaccinated and infection rates start to go down, then uh, we might be uh, seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. But even even without the, as I said before, even without the second uh, phase of lockdowns, most of the big banks and the Bank of Canada were predicting that we were not going to get back to the same level of output until the end of 2021. So it's going to be slow. Steve Ambler's been with us, co-chair of the C.D. Howe Institute's Business Cycle Council, talking about where we are in this pandemic, a recession, and, of course, uh, lockdowns on the horizon. Steve, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you very much. You too. Take care.
So obviously uh, a, a tough situation. What is the reaction from uh, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business in regard to the announcements of these lockdowns coming up uh, as a Boxing Day? Well, regardless whether your listeners feel like the lockdowns are too slow or not going far enough or whether they feel like they're going way too far, I think we should all be able to agree that they they will take out thousands and thousands of businesses, businesses that absolutely will not recover uh, from the additional lockdown measures, uh, families whose lives will be entirely destroyed, uh, business owners who will lose their home as a result, employees that will be out of work once again. Uh, the economic impact of this will be massive uh, and will lead to tens of thousands of permanent business deaths across Ontario. What about the fact that, uh, you, you know, the timing of this after Christmas and such, January, generally a slow period? I mean, I know there's no good time to do this, but is that better than later in the year? Well, look, uh, it depends on what type of business you're in. Certainly that's true from the retail sector where sales uh, in the in January are slow. But Boxing, Boxing Day and the week right after Christmas is typically one of the busiest weeks for, for retailers. And, of course, in a huge chunk of the province, Toronto, Peel, York, uh, Windsor, uh, now Hamilton, that that will have been a longer period of time where businesses will have been out. They've been out in Toronto and Peel for four weeks already, missing their most valuable season altogether as a result. So, gosh, it's going to be absolutely devastating for businesses. And the you know there are some new support programs. In fact, a pretty good one announced by the Ontario government: one-time support of between ten and twenty thousand dollars, depending on your business laws. But uh, I can tell you. That even with that and the the rent and the wage subsidy from the, the from the federal government, the, none of the supports, even if few, fully utilized, will be enough to be able to to help most of these businesses survive. They're done. Uh, I mean, the, these businesses. I've got members of CFIB turning their keys at the bank. Uh, that's what's happening right now. Uh, as we're speaking, I'm getting email from opposition parties saying that the premier should not wait until December 26. He should be doing this now. Uh, your response to that? Well, look, I mean, allowing a couple of extra days for businesses to try to stave off bankruptcy seems like a reasonable thing given the circumstances. Uh, I think what's gotten what what the opposition parties should be focusing on, and and many of them have to be fair, is the fact that. We're supposed to be taking these draconian measures to try to lock down the economy to save lives from COVID-19, except if you want to go to Costco and Walmart, then you're okay. I still have not been able to figure out, and nor has anyone in government been able to, to, to explain to me properly, why a customer is prohibited by law from going in now across the entire province of Ontario to buy a book or a bouquet of flowers at an independent bookstore, an independent flower shop, and yet they can line up with hundreds of other people. I know there's a new capacity restriction of 25% for Costco and Walmart, but they can line up at these big box stores and still buy those goods inside. It makes no sense. If we're serious about fighting COVID, why are we not doing what Manitoba has done, what Quebec is about to do, and that is to prohibit uh, non-essential retail goods at retailers of all sizes. It seems like the rules apply to some but if you're a big business uh, with political connections, I guess you're allowed to stay open. Um, and I'll play devil's advocate with you here, uh, Dan. What we're hearing is that uh, big box stores provide uh, more options. So that means people are one-stop shopping as opposed to going to three or four outlets. Uh, we're also hearing at the end of the day, customers would prefer to have uh, one big box store stay open than having to go to smaller retail outlets. And that these pe- these uh, uh, businesses simply employ way more people than, than small businesses do. Uh, again, I- I'm sure that's not what anyone wants to hear, but that's what we've been hearing as, as the reasoning behind it. Yeah, and unfortunately, all of that is garbage. Uh, but anyway, the the challenge. Do you think people stores, would rather stop, shop in a small store than they would in big box stores? I mean, the parking that, lots, the parking no, lots certainly don't say that. No, they they sure don't. And look, people people should be able to buy at big box stores. I'm not suggesting yeah. they would be shut down. My point is that we have prohibited uh, people to go in. A, a small retailer might serve yeah. five customers in an entire day. 
and they are being closed because of the fear of COVID spread. But you can go in with 200 others into a Costco and Walmart. The one-stop shopping uh, garbage that the Premier has uh, has put out uh, suggests that it's safer somehow to spend more time in line in, to get into the store, more time in line to get out of the store, and they're going to be even longer lines now that there's a 25% capacity restriction uh, than going into and spending two minutes in, a, in an independent store. Yes, consumer convenience is a good reason, but consumers are supporting tighter lockdowns. Uh, why they would exempt big box stores from those lockdowns is still beyond me. What about the number of employees they employ? Well, small firms in aggregate employ vastly more than large firms. Sixty percent of Canadians work in small and medium-sized businesses. Yes, these big box stores account for large numbers of employees, but it is large numbers of people together that is supposed to be contributing to the spread of COVID. In the Amazon, we're shifting more business to Amazon, thinking that we're, we're taking it away from small independent retailers, tiny shops with a handful of people, and we're pushing it to, to Amazon. And then the reports come out that there were four, over 400 cases in the Amazon war, of COVID in the Amazon warehouse. So in my mind, we're actually shutting down the wrong end of retail. Um, what's the solution? <laughs> Because again, you know, it's well, I want a surgical approach. I want, but nobody seems to be able to do that anywhere in the world. Well, I will say Ontario is the only province in Canada that uh, that has has been doing it in this way, and it's not working. <laughs> the the only province that allows big box stores to stay open while while small retailers are forced to close. Not a single other jurisdiction in Canada, together with their public health officials, has gone down this road. I, I also add that what, what businesses would feel a lot more confident is if the measures were based on data. Uh, but they have essentially acknowledged that they're not doing that at this stage. They're shutting down, they're shutting down the entire province proactively, not because there is spread in, on, in Ottawa or northern Ontario, but because they're concerned about uh, people traveling from one jurisdiction to, to another. They're not shutting down. They're, you know, they're taking uh, limits on business activity that is typically low risk, so the data says, and yet the spread seems to be coming from household activity, which seems, you know, they're they're only using urging of consumers uh, to stay home. Uh, they're not taking further measures on that front. So, so should we be should solid. should should the government be locking down uh, the province as of Boxing Day? Uh, if, if there are additional lockdown measures to be had, let's make sure that we do them fairly. Let's not give one at a competitive advantage over the other. Many businesses understand, they understood and with, and tried to support the lockdowns in the spring uh, because they knew the government was dealing with something brand new and had no idea what the heck to do. Uh, that, that came at a big price to their businesses. The second round, the second round of lockdowns, businesses owners are asking a lot more questions, but getting very few answers, sadly. All right. It is uh, 227. Dan Kelly with us, Director of Provincial Affairs with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, speaking on the new lockdown. Dan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Anytime at all. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. If the lockdown... has you down uh on the podcast edition of the commentary a list of things that you can do during a lockdown and you know it's as traumatic as things like uh, cleaning the garage and cleaning the basement so do you want to look back at this time during a pandemic and say you know i wasted the last 41 weeks and i should have cleaned the basement why did i not do this during the lockdown I wish we could just have one more lockdown so I could do the things that I didn't do during the last lockdown. Is that the kind of position you want to be in? Make use of the time. All right. Uh, <laughs> trying to make like light of this in any way that we possibly can, knowing that uh, come Boxing Day we are in for, um, I'll say it again, another lockdown. Uh, all right. All right. 
so uh, 28 days, and as well at the start of school, uh, the kids will be back in school at the normal time, but they won't be in school. They'll be in the kitchen or the bedroom or wherever else they're doing their online learning. Uh, the elementary students going back a week late, and the high school kids back on the 25th, I believe. So uh, lots of uh, information coming out today, and it's going to take a while for everybody to uh, to digest. And then as all of this is coming out, we're hearing of a new strand of this coronavirus coming from the UK. Uh, it is reportedly 70% uh, spreads about 75% more or faster rather. Um, vaccination still good for this, all that sort of thing. The, the, as you know, they redo the flu shot every year for the exact same reason uh, that it does mutate uh, in certain forms. But this enough to see countries ban travel from uh, the UK for the next 72 hours until they get a handle on what is going on. Let's bring in Matthew Miller, Associate Professor of Biochemistry and Biomedical Sciences with McMaster University, and he is with us now. Matthew, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, happy to be here. So your thoughts when we're hearing information about a new strand and obviously so severe or severe enough that uh, we're, we're, we're postponing travel to the UK for 72 hours. What are your thoughts on all of this? Well, I think um, there's certainly a lot of uh, uncertainty right now, and I think that's what's largely driving these decisions. Um, uh, the detection of this new variant um, in the UK has posed concerns because of um, sort of where on the virus these mutations are being discovered. But we still really don't know whether they're actually doing anything. One of the difficulties in um, evaluating these kinds of things when viruses are circulating in nature is that it's really difficult to um, sort of parse apart whether or not a particular mutation we see um, is associated with you know, increased transmission or whether that increased transmission is just sort of a function of um, behavioral and environmental factors like the fact that we're entering the holiday season and, uh, you know, people are getting together for more social gatherings, um, etc. And so I think that these policies have really been implemented out of an abundance of caution um, while uh, scientists you know, take a deep dive into looking at the properties of these particular mutations. How do you discover new mutations or variants, as you called them? What, what are the origins? How do you realize that you're dealing with something like this? So a lot of countries, Canada included, um, are doing um, what we call sequencing of the virus. So, um, you know, people who develop symptoms uh, and go into a COVID assessment center, they have a, a relatively simple assay done called a PCR. And that just looks at a teeny tiny piece of the virus um, that's specific and can tell you whether or not you're getting infected. But a subset of those samples in many countries, including Canada, go off and we look at the sequence of the entire virus. And that's a really important aspect of surveillance because it can tell us um, if the virus is, is changing in ways that may be important or concerning. Are you surprised that, uh, that this is, uh, is expanding, is mutating the way that it is, or is that, was that to have been suspected, expected? Well, I think for, for experts who have been in the virology field for a long time, it's not too surprising. Um, viruses like SARS-CoV-2, uh, naturally mutate and, um, one of the things that happens when these mutations occur is that, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, if the virus mutates in a way that makes it less good at infecting people, you know, you typically see those viruses die off quickly. The The issue becomes if a mutation is neutral, meaning the virus, you know, makes a mutation, but it doesn't really change anything for the virus, good or bad those viruses can persist in the population because there's no selective pressure for them to disappear. And it can be very hard to tease apart those kinds of changes from changes that 
actually make the virus do something better than it was doing before, like transmitting more effectively. Um, And that's why these kinds of things need to be carefully tested in lab settings to see if the mutation itself is, is what's making a difference or whether what's happened is just that, you know, this virus has been sort of carried by a lot of people and transmitted at higher rates because of people's behavior and not because of the virus itself. Um, mutation certainly isn't new. We have talked about that over the course of this pandemic in, in one form or another. But are you surprised that this travel ban came up so quickly and that everybody kind of pivoted so quickly on this uh, and, and canceled flights in and out of the U.K.? I am, um, to be to be honest. I think that probably in large part this was driven by concerns about increases in travel that um, were likely to happen over the holiday season. So, you know, were this have been uh, were this to have been detected, you know, several weeks ago that wasn't in close in as close a proximity to the holiday season, maybe we wouldn't have seen um, quite this level of reaction. Um, the good news is obviously that with SARS-CoV-2, the amount of information we're getting is happening at really unprecedented speeds. So I, I suspect that this will be quite transient. And in fact, one of the big concerns with this new UK strain was whether or not the mutations might affect um, uh, how well vaccines, the, the newly approved vaccines work. And um, just this afternoon, the WHO made an announcement that, that they had um, done some analysis of this. And, and thankfully, it looks like these mutations are not going to impact uh, the ability of the vaccine to provide protection. What about travel? I mean, obviously, many are concerned about the holidays and people getting together, not practicing protocol. As a result, in January, we're going to see a spike of new cases and such. Uh, we remember during the beginning of all of this, there was a big uh, a, a big uh, deal made out of the fact that we had closed the land border between the United States and Canada, yet the air traffic uh, continues to fly and thousands of people are coming in internationally uh, every week just into Toronto alone. Should we be should we be policing who's coming in should we be testing should we be being should we be monitoring uh, the airport as much or the airports as much as we are uh, the land borders here well yeah there has certainly been some some inconsistency in the policies around uh, land border travel between Canada the, and the US and then air travel between other countries um, there are some real logistical challenges with imposing uh, ultra strict travel bans. And I think what, what does need to be done though is there to be, you know, really rigorous follow up and enforcement of the 14 day mandatory quarantine that's supposed to be in effect for people who do travel. Um, you know, people who, who, uh, you know, don't abide by those, uh, quarantine, um, uh, rules, you know, definitely create an increased risk. Um, the, the issues, the issues around sort of, you know, widespread travel bans, though, definitely, um, get complicated because it becomes increasingly difficult to enforce, you know, reasons that are appropriate for travel and, and reasons that, that aren't. Should we be at least, uh, be testing international flights, uh, coming in? So I, I, I do think that there would be some value in doing that. The, the difficulty there, again, is, um, you know, what kind of testing you do and what the turnaround is. Uh, so while the tests are very specific, current tests are very specific for SARS-CoV-2, a traveler, let's say, who got exposed in the airport uh, on their trip here very likely would test negative at the airport, um, even if they go on to be positive after they arrive. And I think that's why um, the strict strict adherence to the 14-day quarantine is really the best way to uh, mediate the risks associated with travel because of uh, the, the possibility that somebody could test negative falsely. So, yeah, just because you test on uh, the second of the test doesn't mean that uh, it's not incubating inside of you and appears a few days down the road or exactly. such. Exactly. Uh, again, the need for, for rapid or high-speed testing. Uh, where do you think this is going to go with this travel situation in the U.K.? 72 hours, it's lifted, we move on. What are they going to discover from this? I suspect that uh, this will be temporary. I think that... Um, 
the the good news, of course, is that uh, the real risk that people are are investigating right now is that the variant transmits. Uh, a little bit more easily. Um, there doesn't seem to be any evidence of increased severity of infection at the individual level, um, and there doesn't seem to be an impact on the variant in terms of, um, you know, its ability to uh, evade um, uh, the immunity that these vaccines are going to elicit. Obviously, though, any anything that increases rates of transmission increases the risk of severe outcomes to people who belong in high-risk groups. And so I think that um, given the rate at which we are um, uh, able to characterize this new isolate, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see a pivot back. That's, that's my gut feeling. Um, and, you know, perhaps at most the, the, the travel restrictions might extend through the holidays just to sort of mitigate that that holiday rush of people uh, while we get a better handle on um, whether or not we should really be concerned about this new variant. Matthew Miller's been with us, Associate Professor of Biochemistry and Biomedical Sciences, McMaster University. Matthew, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. My pleasure. Thank you. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Of course, we're trying to support everything local, uh, including your local restaurants and such that uh, have just been nailed during this uh, pandemic, obviously, and uh, are uh, going beyond uh, their their normal uh, their normal normal protocols just to be able to stay alive and uh, do takeout or restricted dining or whatever uh, they can do just to stay afloat. Uh, another one we'd like to introduce you to, uh, Industria Pizza. Jeff Yee is with us from Industria Pizzeria and is on the line now. Jeff, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yes, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Scott. Tell everybody where you guys are, Jeff. We're located at 69 John Street South, the corner of Jackson and John. Uh, the old, uh, a lot of uh, Hamiltonians would know the location by the old Tailgate Charlie's location. So we've been there <laughs> since uh, November of 2019. And also another location in Burlington, correct? Yes, we got uh, our location on Burlington on 1860 Appleby Line. Uh, that location has been there for a few years. So we're uh, definitely uh, one of the well-loved pizzerias in the Burlington area. But yeah, on Burlington on Appleby Line. And great to have you here in the Hammer. Uh, what so? What's it been me. like? How di- how difficult has it been, especially opening a new place like you said in November, and then blammo, you get thrown into this uh, in a global yeah, pandemic. It, it, how you staying afloat? Yeah, it's it's definitely been uh, challenging, you know. And uh, we're trying to always uh, remain positive and uh, understand that uh, obviously everyone's health and well being is the utmost uh, um, priority. And you know, when we uh, opened up for uh, takeout. It, um, it, it obviously it's takeout no replacement for the dine-ins, but uh, we have to try to do our best to keep our staff going and motivated, our team members. So you know, running the takeout and delivery and delivery, obviously everyone knows it's been a bit of a challenge with the third-party deliveries. But uh, you know, Ford's helped with a couple of new uh, programs he's put in over the weekend. But you know, we definitely uh, need to appreciate the support from uh, local residents and uh, some of the subsidies that are definitely helping for sure. So tell us about Industria Pizzeria. I've been there. It's a great place. You got great product Thank there. Uh, it, it, it is. Uh, it, it's a. Uh, it's a different place. Tell us about it. Yeah, it, it's a modern Italian uh, restaurant. We, it's a. Uh, it's not the typical pizzeria. It's actually essentially it's a pizzeria Italian restaurant, right? We've got large. You know, and uh, for those of been have you been to uh, Industria? We're a lo- very large restaurant. We have an average of about seven thousand yeah. to eight thousand square feet restaurant. So. It's a very large space, uh, you know, great ability to be socially distanced. And, you know, it, it's ironic. A lot of people come into our restaurant and say, you're only allowed 10 people in here. We're almost like half of a size of a Michael's or, a, uh, you know, a, a large department store, you know, to be honest with you. So it, it's quite crazy. But we're, uh, we've got a great, uh, we're well known for our Neapolitan uh, pizzas straight out of our uh, wood. Our stone ovens, uh, our ovens come directly out of Italy, Montreal kind of uh, style of uh, pizzas. That's where the brand is originally from. Uh, we've got lots of great, amazing uh, appetizers, and uh, we call it sweeties. We're like the family-style Italian uh, restaurant kind of thing. 
And, you know, maybe many people may think, you know, as everybody has had to shift it to uh, to take out and such that this would favor a pizza, uh, you know, a pizza establishment. But that being said, you guys have got large locations, as you said. It's about the experience. Yeah, it's about the experience, the, the, the ambiance, the atmosphere that we provide. And, you know, we definitely have, uh, and, and even though people believe, yeah, pizza is one of those great items you can take out, but there's also lots of uh, pizza places out there, right? All sorts of different pizza. We are a different uh, type of uh, pizza uh, as well, like I said. We're a thin crust Neapolitan style pizza, a little bit more on the gourmet side. A traditional Italian uh, fare, right? We make our dough fresh, our sauces fresh, premium ingredients. So we got a great uh, margarita pizza and one of our signature pizzas, uh, Industria Pizza. So, you know, we got lots of great, amazing items like that. But, yeah. It seemed that for a while, um, you know, there was a lot of pizza takeout places, but the sort of the pizza restaurant disappeared. You know, it seemed like 25, 30 years ago, there was tons of these places around and it was like a dining experience. And then it sort of went away and it was, you know, a lot of takeout stuff. And you guys have kind of brought that back where it's it, it's about the atmosphere. Yeah, it's about the atmosphere and uh, who we are. It is about family, right? So we do a lot of our dishes, our family we have our unique scissors that we cut off our pizzas and we always i was just about to say that you know any place i was just about to say that jeff any place that brings out the scissors to cut the pizza you gotta know it's serious there (laughs) thank you very much yeah you know people love our our uh our our scissors and you know it's 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 about the experience like you said it's the family styles the sharing and this that's the biggest impact that this pandemic has had to the to the business is that it's it's hurt that, you know, going out for, you know, family dinners. I, we, you know, and of course, you know, obviously it's utmost importance that, you know, it's, it's important that everyone has to, you know, be feel comfortable to come out, right? So we, uh, we definitely noticed that uh, a lot of takeout has uh, gone in direction more like the families. We don't see as many uh, younger families out there, obviously, for obvious reasons, right? So, yeah. All right, Jeff Yee has been with us. Uh, another restaurant you need to get out there and support. Industria Pizzeria, uh, Jackson and John, also another one in Burlington. And one of Jackson and John, and people will remember as the old Tailgate Charlie's. It is a great place. It's a great experience. Get out there and support Loco. Jeff, good luck with all of this. Thank you very much, Scott. Best, uh, happy holidays to yourself. Well. You too, Jeff Yee, Industria Pizzeria, uh, Jackson and John Street, the old, uh, the old Tailgate Charlie's. <laughs> Oh, forgot about that. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.